Richard Reed Parry has scored Sean Durkin's The Nest, presented by BBC Films, and he's here with us to discuss the film, its music, and the Sony Soundtracks album. Hi, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. As the heart of Arcade Fire, you've performed in front of immense crowds and sold millions of albums across the world, but you're also a composer and multi-instrumentalist who has recorded under your own name with projects like The Nest. I never really envisioned myself to just be a guy in a band. The fact is that before Arcade Fire kind of burst out of obscurity into mega popularity, I was basically doing all the things that I do now. I was composing, I was in university before Arcade Fire time, and I was doing a lot of composition then and composing for dance and doing some minor stuff for film, mostly kind of student type things. I had three different bands on the go, and I was doing all sorts of collaborations and composing here, composing there doing music for art installations. I've always been a really multifaceted musical creature, but then the meteoric rise to popularity that Arcade Fire experienced really sidelined everything else that I was doing and was totally amazing. But at a certain point, just for my own sanity and my own sense of artistic balance, started finding opportunities to compose, started collaborating with different people. Met my friend Bryce Dessner. We became very, very good friends in the early years of both of our bands, Arcade Fire and The National, and we did a lot of collaborative new music classical type work together. It's really just been a case of having one foot in each of the worlds that I so love to travel in and love to be creative within. You wrote that when you saw the first cut of The Nest without any music, you could feel right away what was needed in the score, capturing that massive old house and the sounds that would drift from room to room. I actually really loved seeing the movie without any music. It's so rare that you get to see a film without a score. The first time that I watched it, it was also about double the length of what it ended up being. It was like two and a half hours, almost three hours, I think. And I actually loved the experience. Sean hadn't used any temp music for the most part. A lot of directors fall into this trap that composers will moan about using temp music and getting really attached to the temp music, trapped in a bit of a rut of trying to satisfy the same musical feeling as whatever temp music the director had used. So thankfully, Sean didn't do any of that, and I was very, very happy about that. That was very intentional on his part. I think he really wanted me to have an intuitive response to it and be able to see where I wanted to go with it musically. Very spacious, very beautifully shot. It takes its time in a way that can be rare for cinema these days. You could just kind of feel a certain musical space, kind of an intimacy to the whole thing. You could also feel this sort of looming shadow of this delusional father. Felt like a bit of a horror movie vibe when I saw it, even though it's anything but a horror movie. It's just this kind of tense, underlying atmosphere that you could feel wanted to be there. And you could also feel that it really wanted a lot of space. You know, I really appreciated the silence that was in the movie. When I first got back to Sean, I was like, I don't know, man, you could go this one alone and <laughs> let it have no music. But there were certain parts of it that he really wanted scored. <laughs> And then there were 
also certain parts of it that my musical instinct wanted to be scored and Sean's directorial instinct was to definitely leave some of those parts empty and really pick and choose where you were going to use the music, which ended up being less than I would have intuitively done as a composer and musician. That's fine. That's the dance of making film music. Finding what the director's vision is and also wanting to be true to your own vision and figuring out where those things meet in the middle. And then you started your compositional process, sketching out some ideas on the double bass and on piano, then got your ensemble involved. I initially started out sketching alone and just basically throwing every little idea. You know, I was just recording things into my phone. I'd whistle something even or sing an idea into the phone. I was really sending anything and everything to Sean as I was doing it. You just never know when something is going to click. And so I was really just being very, very free creatively and sending them absolutely every idea that crossed my mind. And then I would build certain things up and do, you know, many layers of double bass or multiple layers of piano and pretend that the double bass was another instrument, play it really, really high. We didn't decide a lot of things beforehand, but we both knew that we absolutely wanted it to be an acoustic soundtrack. We didn't want any synthetic instruments. So from the get-go, I just didn't use any MIDI instruments, any digital instruments, any synthesizers, anything like that. Just really knew from the get-go, oh, this wants to be acoustic music in an acoustic space. And the one piece of music that Sean had left in that wasn't temp music, that was planned to be in the film and that is in the film, this fantastic piece of music by Duke Ellington and Charles Mingus and Max Roach from an album that I've been quite obsessed with for the past four, maybe five years called Money Jungle. And the piece is called The Fleuret African. It kind of straddles chamber music and piano trio. It just has this nebulous, ambiguous feel. And I responded really strongly. It was already a piece that I'd been in recent times quite obsessed with, as I say. So the fact that Sean had left that in there made me really happy. And I was like, oh, I hope that this is staying slash I hope that you're comfortable with me trying to make music compared to this in some kind of feel in terms of intimacy, you know, just a few instruments and really spacious recording. You can really hear the kind of room sound around the instruments. There's something really special in that particular recording of that piece. I noticed, particularly in the beginning of the score, that jazz trio idea. Fairly early on in the process, I started sketching with Parker Spur, my good friend and very brilliant pianist. And he ended up being a really important collaborator for me. We did a lot of work together, just playing. And I'd have these themes that I'd bring in and we'd just kind of kick them around, trying to walk that line between chamber music and jazz trio. We sketched a lot of things together. I would bring in these themes and things that I heard and ideas that I'd had, and we did a lot of very fast approaches. Fairly soon into that process, I invited Stuart Bogey, woodwind player, and kind of do the same thing. Work with these basic themes that were blossoming and being developed. Again, to just throw ideas at a wall without writing things on paper, but you know, me kind of just singing melodies and themes to people and us playing them in different ways, and just in a very kind of open, creative musicians in a room kind of fashion, less in a scored music kind of style. Just recorded everything that we did for many, many days and threw all of those ideas at Sean in the end and let him just sit with them for a long time and he would just sort of pick the ideas that he liked and in my early solo demos he had already gravitated towards a handful of themes and some that he wasn't sure about that I felt quite sure about so I just kept developing those and working with those in different ways turning them over turning them around 
I immediately knew that I wanted to work with piano and bass and then another instrument and I thought clarinet or bass clarinet and then possibly cello or possibly violin and I immediately also started thinking about okay well if we're going to be working small chamber ensemble we probably want the kind of number of instruments as there are characters not to get super Mickey Mouse Looney Tunes about how we're scoring it, but just have there be a little bit of a thread there, a connective thread between the roles in the movie and the musical roles. The ensemble size was basically the size of the family, four instruments most of the time. And then having a fifth instrument, I thought, well, if there was another character in the movie, it's kind of the house. adding some of the dialogue that is from when the family arrives in the house and the father is explaining to the mother how it's what they've always wanted and how perfect it is and how it's going to fulfill all their dreams and all these things. For me, it was directly inspired specifically by uh, the soundtrack Paris, Texas, Ry Cooter soundtrack to that Avengers film. I went to Paris to work with Ayumi Paul, who's a, another dear friend and really gorgeous violinist. back and forth with Sean the whole time, sending a pile of new recorded ideas. This whole time he was also editing the film down from a three hour monster into an hour and 30 minute, hour 45 minute thing that is the final film. There's all sorts of dialogue from the movie used on the soundtrack itself and that's something that had a huge impact on me. Tried to make a sort of breezy little version of what is sometimes a heavier handed, more brooding theme and turn it into this light chamber jazz. So I thought we'd go over some of the cues. What can you tell us about Drone Beast in the Air? That one was actually a really collaborative one and came out of something that Parker played and I immediately picked up on. A little Bernard Herrmann kind of vibe. Bass clarinet and the double bass tuned down super extra low and have these kind of creepy heavy drones underneath this sort of breezy but also creepy melody. You know when you watch the movie you don't quite know what you're seeing and what you're in for. The creepier elements, the creepier like instincts broken motives underlying the actions of this family, or specifically this father, hell-bent on becoming rich and wealthy and happy that way. The opening shot is just of this house in the suburbs where they live. For an opening sequence, creepy, slightly horror film vibe to the music, and at the same time, it's sort of slow-flowing kind of melody. Felt like a really delicious contrast to be setting the scene with right from the get-go. Drone Beast in the Air is one of the Redux versions of that theme. 
just the violin take and some gentle percussion on the double bass as the second half of it, as the end, an overdubbed element that we used that was from Symphony Brew originally, just soloing tracks to listen to them because I'd recorded the bass and drums and piano, various elements of Symphony Brew, the full version as a whole, and then added violin afterwards to one of the versions. It was Ayumi just really meandering in very slow motion on a couple of the different themes from the movie, but really spaced out and only playing certain notes and doing it in real slow motion. And I was soloing those tracks while we were mixing. We were working so quickly and just throwing out so many different versions that I just made the engineer do a bounce of it, just the violin and the bass percussion at that moment and totally forgot about it until later on in the process. And then was like, oh, we absolutely have to use this on its own. This is amazing. It only made it in as the end of the credits music in the film. There's a handful of pieces on the soundtrack that didn't actually make the final picture cut, but were really important to Sean and really important to myself musically as part of the musical framework of the whole score. Richard Reed Parry, congratulations on your score for The Nest. Thank you for coming on the podcast to discuss it with us. Oh, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to chat with you.